The legal views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute or contain legal advice. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. You are listening to the Break the Business Podcast. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. What is up, people? Welcome to episode number 85 of the Break the Business Podcast. It's just you and me this week, listener. It's just you and me face-to-face, no co-host. Dave is traveling. He's on vacation. He's seeing a Metallica concert. Big surprise. Um, I'm pretty sure at this point in his life, Dave has seen enough Metallica shows that he might have seen more Metallica shows than James Hetfield has. Like James Hetfield at this point is like, dude, you can cut back a little. There's other bands you can see, but he is the most devoted Metallica fan. I know not a bigger proponent of the band that is Metallica than Dave. So Dave is out traveling the country. I think he's missing next week's show too, uh, for his Metallica craziness. So he's out there. He's seeing the world. He's having a good time. And honestly, as bitter as I am that he's not here with me, because I love having him on the other side of this table to talk music industry and pop culture and helping DIY artists, I am happy for him. The dude works hard and he absolutely deserves any time off he can get. But that doesn't change the fact that there is still a show that has to be done. I got y'all here. I am so happy that you're listening to us this week and every week. I just, I love seeing the support for this show grow and grow. It's becoming more of a thing than I ever expected it to be. When I started this podcast about almost two years ago, I just sort of saw it as like a way to promote the book and maybe talk with a few people in the music industry, kind of help me network a bit with people out there. I never expected the support I would be hearing from indie artists, people reaching out to me on email and on Twitter and saying that we really love the stuff you guys are doing. It's informative, but it's not just informative. You make us laugh a little bit. Uh, you know, Ryan, you're informative. Dave's informative. Dave is funny. I like the dynamic you guys are doing and all that just makes us feel so good. It's what fuels us to move forward each week and continue trying to do great stuff for you. If you want to help support the podcast, you can rate, review us, and subscribe to us. All those rates, reviews, subscriptions on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, those things really help us out. They move us up into the iTunes world. But more than that, I want to hear from you. We love getting emails from you guys, whether they're critiques or just saying hello. Um, But we love getting the questions, too, whether they are questions about the music industry. And if it's a good question, we'll read it out on the air. Um, If you want us to give you some tips on a particular thing in the industry, if you're an indie artist and you're struggling with something, if there's a question that you can't find an easy answer to, or you just need a tip on some subject, or you just want Dave and I to talk about something in the music industry that you think is interesting and warrants some discussion, let us know. You can reach out to us. Uh, The email for this show is breakthebusiness at gmail.com. You can also reach out to Dave on Twitter. He's at metaldave 85 And you can follow me on Twitter. I love talking to people on Twitter. I'm at Ryan K-A-I-R. You can also like us on Facebook, Facebook.com slash Break the Business. Man, Twitter. (laughs) Twitter is funny, man. Um, That's where most people contact us. The email works too, but... Uh, when people want to ask us questions to answer on the show or want us to propose want to propose a pop culture topic for us to talk about on the show, most people find me on Twitter and Twitter. I reached an interesting Twitter realization the other day, and I'm gonna drift a little off topic here, but we'll get the we'll get the ship 
point to True North again in just a second, but I just thought this was interesting. Where on my Twitter, if you follow me, I'm at Ryan K A I R. You're going to get a lot of music industry tips. I'm going to post a lot of stuff about um, tips for musicians, uh, legal tips, business tips. I retweet the tips of others. I try to be an informative resource for musicians. I post a lot of legal stuff on there um, because I want to be another resource for you, the indie artist. A lot of pop culture stuff, too, because we like to have fun. But mainly, I'm trying to educate however I can. And it's funny that when I do post a music industry-related thing, when I post some kind of tip, when I post something that I think, oh, this is an interesting informational nugget to share with the indie artist listeners out there, I'll post that. And those tweets, I usually get maybe 100, 150 engagements, you know, maybe one or two retweets, four or five likes. And sometimes that's frustrating for me because it's like, oh man, I want to get this stuff out there, but I'm not like Katy Perry with 25 million followers. So I'm never going to get the kind of reach I want. But the other day I, I, um, I had my dog, Molly, a golden retriever, Molly. She's the best dog in the world, but man, she has got a lot of energy, but She's awesome. I love Molly. And the other day, Molly finally did uh, my wife and I a solid. So this dog has just ripped our house apart and is a crazy puppy. But every once in a while, she comes through for us. And she did this past weekend because the local bar by our house, uh, Lincoln's Beard Brewery, I'm just going to go and give them a shout out because they're awesome. It's a great bar uh, in the western part of Miami, Florida. They had a promotion where you could get a free beer from Lincoln's Beard Brewing Company if you brought your dog to the bar in a costume. And so thankfully Molly, our awesome golden retriever took one for the team and let us dress her up in a costume. She didn't try to eat it or bite it off, which I thought for sure she was going to do, but now she handled it like a champ and we dressed her up like a bumblebee or as I called it a golden bee retriever. Thank you very much. So we bring our golden bee retriever and you can, if you check out, check it out on Twitter at Ryan KR, you can see this costume. She looks adorable, but anyway, My lament with Twitter is that I post this picture of Molly on Twitter and it gets retweeted a bunch of times and it gets liked a bunch of times. And it's by far been the most impressioned, most viewed tweet I've had in at least a year and a half. So I post all these informative music industry things, snore, nobody cares. I post my dog in a bee costume, I break the damn internet. I I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm pleased with any publicity we can get. And maybe a few of those people who liked my golden bee retriever eventually find their way to checking out the podcast. And that's cool. But man, is it frustrating that my informative tweets don't go anywhere. But my dog in a bee costume becomes the biggest thing in the history of the Internet. Either way, you can check that on Twitter. I'm at Ryan K.A.I.R. Some more news. The audiobook's coming out June 2nd. So if you have just landed on this podcast, you don't know kind of what we're all about here. This all got started because I wrote a book uh, about a year and a half ago called Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry. This is a music industry guide written by me. It talks about why record deals can be dangerous. It It gives you a blueprint for how you can achieve success in the music industry on your own terms by being your own boss, by being the king of the mountain, the queen of the mountain, and running a music career with you as the captain of the ship. And in this new industry where the creation, promotion, distribution of music is easier and cheaper than it's ever been. Thanks to the internet. 
it makes a lot of sense these days to achieve music success on your own terms without trying to get a label deal, which can be a destructive thing to do. Trust me, I'm a lawyer. These record contracts are an awful mess. But anyway, I wrote a book about all that stuff. And now there's an audiobook coming out. So June 2nd, I have made I've made the audiobook. I recorded it in a real life studio with the pop filters and the microphones and everything, much nicer than the studio I use here at this podcast. And I'm really excited for how it came out. And I would very much appreciate it if you would get a copy of it. It's going to be coming out June 2nd. You can get it on Amazon and probably some other places too. It's the Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence, and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry audiobook coming out June 2nd. Please get that. Our guest this week coming up in the next segment. I am super excited to have Richard Chapo join us. Richard Chapo, he is an attorney from San Diego, California. He specializes in helping entrepreneurs start online enterprises. So he's not a music industry lawyer per se. He's something that is of equal value to you, however, as a musician. He is an internet website lawyer. So he helps people build websites and helps make sure the websites you build are legally compliant. He helps protect you. And this is important for you guys as indie artists because guess what? Every one of you out there, if you are an independent musician, if you're trying to achieve success in the music industry on your own terms, you are officially an online entrepreneur. You have to be a web entrepreneur. You have to have a web presence. You're going to be selling your music online. You're going to be offering downloads of your music online. You're going to be collecting mailing lists. You're going to be putting videos of yourself online. You're going to be using crowdfunding platforms like Kickstarter and Patreon and Pledge Music to fund your music career. You're going to be doing online concerts on platforms like Stageit. Let's face it, folks. The internet is a fact of life for you as an indie artist. And so you got to make sure you're protected. So we're going to have Richard on He's going to be super useful. He's going to give us some great tips on things like selecting a domain name, avoiding legal pitfall, pitfalls, excuse me, in operating your website, and of great importance, he's going to let you know what you should do if you find somebody using your music or other content of yours on the internet without your permission. You start making enough music, it's going to happen. You're going to find YouTube videos where people are using your music without your permission, people uh, putting pictures of you on web platforms and you didn't allow them to do it. And so you have to ask yourself, when that happens, what do you do? Do you sue them? Do you write them a strongly worded letter? Do you work with them somehow to kind of create some sort of agreement with them where they can still kind of promote you, but now you give them their permission? What do you do there? We're going to talk to Richard Chapo in the next second segment, and he's going to tell you what you do. So there, that alone is a pretty good reason to stick around for the next segment. We got some great pop culture stuff. Dave, my pop culture guy, is not here, but that doesn't mean we're not going to give you the pop culture you so badly crave. I got some, I got some things to say in the pop culture world. I know I'm just stuffy lawyer guy, but you know, I got, I got some, I got some stuff for you coming up a little later. I'm going to talk a little bit about the American Idol reboot. I got some thoughts on that. You know, this, you know, American Idol was gone because the ratings weren't great, but now somehow we've decided that a year later we can bring American Idol back. I got some thoughts there. And more importantly, I want to talk a little bit of Eurovision. I watched the Eurovision Song Contest yesterday, and oh my God, I loved it. It was so much fun. 
I love Eurovision. It's my first time I've ever watched Eurovision all the way through. I am obsessed. I already want there to be another one tomorrow. I'm so sad that I have to wait a whole year for Eurovision. And if you don't know what Eurovision is because you're stateside and you don't really, you're not down with the Europe stuff as much, you got to get into Eurovision. It is so much fun. It's got music. It's got crazy costumes. It's got geopolitical intrigue. It's just great television. So we're going to talk a little bit of Eurovision. And don't worry, if you didn't see Eurovision, we're going to kind of talk about it in a way that it doesn't kind of leave you out in the cold. It's good pop culture, notwithstanding. It's going to get you excited to want to check out Eurovision next year. So all that's coming up on this podcast. But first, I want to talk about a couple cool pieces of DIY-related music industry news type stuff that happened this past week. Uh, First, a great article on HypeBot this week about a group, about a duo, I should say, a music duo that I love, 23rd Hour. The article was entitled, How an Unknown Duo Broke Top 10 on iTunes' New Jazz Releases. Great title for an article, but for those of you who listen to this podcast, they're not unknown to you. If you are a loyal listener of Break the Business, you know who 23rd Hour is, and you love 23rd Hour, because we've had 23rd Hour on the show a couple weeks ago. Sherry Lynn, love her. George, love him. And I'm so happy to kind of see them getting more recognition. You know, we had them on a couple weeks ago. Now they're being profiled in HypeBot. This is awesome. They were so great when we had them on here. And I love that they're doing more stuff. But HypeBot profiled them, talked about what we talked with them about a couple weeks ago, which is how they were able to get their latest album, Perfect Strangers, way up on the iTunes jazz charts despite being relative unknowns in the music industry. These were people that didn't have a lot of name recognition. They didn't have a lot of notoriety, particularly in the jazz world, but they were able to create a great album. And you can check out this album, Perfect Strangers. It's available everywhere. It's such a good album. And these two are great musicians, but despite their lack of name recognition, they were able to get top 10 on the iTunes new jazz releases chart. And when we had them on a couple weeks ago, they talked about how they were able to do it. But this HypeBot article uh, reiterates a lot of that great stuff, and it's worth repeating here. Um, So you should definitely read that HypeBot article. Again, it's how an unknown duo broke top 10 on the iTunes new jazz releases. And you should listen to the interview that we had with 23rd Hour on the podcast. It was a couple weeks ago. I believe that would make it episode 83, but you can check that. Uh, You can just go to our iTunes page. Um, or sorry, go to our SoundCloud page for Break the Business or go to breakthebusiness.com. You can check out that episode. It was a good one. They were delightful. Um, But I do want to mention for now, so your homework, go check out those two things. But right now, I do want to talk about one thing that they discussed in that HypeBot article again because it was such a good piece of advice. And the advice is this. When you're launching a major release, like an album, as 23rd Hour did, it is often a good idea to tie your launch to a charitable initiative that you care about. So some cause that you believe in, that you support. And in the case of 23rd Hour, it was all about um, this organization, Hungry for Music, which provides support for music education programs. Basically, 23rd Hour, in a pretty cool move, very bold move, as part of their music launch, they told everyone that they were going to donate their first week of album sales for their album, Perfect Strangers, to this organization, Hungry for Music. Um, you know, a cool idea. This is a group that knows. And what was sort of behind the strategy is these these folks, Sherry Lynn and George, they were smart enough to know that 
this wasn't an album that was going to make them millions of dollars. And so by offering to give their first week of sales to a charity, certainly not in their first week. And so they knew that by offering their first week sales to a charity, not only would they help an important social cause, and maybe that money might not mean a lot to Sherry Lynn and George, but it could mean a lot if it was donated to this organization, but it was a great way to build their name recognition. They were able to tie themselves to an important cause and allow both them and this important cause to succeed. And it wound up working really well for them, but tying themselves to this charitable initiative, Honey, uh, Hungry for Music, excuse me, and making that one part of what was an otherwise very well orchestrated music launch process on the whole, allow them to get to the, you know, to the very high point on this iTunes chart. So they did give some specific tips on how they were, how they went about this charitable initiative. And one of the things that they do recommend is you want to be explicit about your, your support. Um, tell your fans, if you're going to do something like this, exactly how the album sales are going to support whatever charity you tie it to. So once you have your album out, once you find a cause that you believe in and you tie these two things together, make sure your fans clearly understand what they, how what they are doing with your albums and how, the, how what they buy is going to have a tangible effect. And you want to make it as tangible as possible for them. Instead of just saying every $30 in sales we get is going to ship a flute to a deserving classroom, um, which is great, but as a fan, I don't know how much of my $30 is that is, you know, I mean, I don't want to have to think about how many albums I have to buy and how much of my sale goes to the charity. So make it more clear to them. Say every five albums we sell, every five albums sold ships a flute to a classroom. Now I, as a music consumer, know how many album, you know, how much my album sale contributes to a flute going to a classroom. And maybe I might say to myself, you know what? I'm going to buy five albums. I don't need five albums, but I like the idea of me having a tangible impact on a flute ending up on a kid's desk in a classroom. And so you want to link your initiative to concrete outcomes so that you can incentivize people to support you because they support this cause. And all in all, it's a great way, this, you know, linking to charitable initiatives, it's a great way to build support for you and for an important social cause. And they have a lot of other advice on this subject, by the way. I'm only sort of scratching the surface. And I suggest that you check out this Hypebot article. Again, the title, How an Unknown Duo Broke Top 10 on iTunes New Jazz Releases, Hypebot.com. And you can also check out our interview with them on this podcast a couple weeks ago where they discussed this launch. Great, great stuff. And hey, while you're at it, Go ahead and throw some love to 23rd Hour. I'm telling you, these two are so adorable, and they make such great music together, and Perfect Strangers is a wonderful album, so go get that album. Um, they're, you know, Now that they've already done this charitable thing and they've helped a lot of schools, how about you go and throw them some support because they did honestly do a really nice thing for a very great social cause. All right, another music tip before we bring in Richard Chapo from our friends at CD Baby. I got, you got to love CD Baby. Love these guys. Kevin Bruner, Chris Robley, they're both uh, high up in CD Baby. We've had them on this podcast before. They are delightful people, super informative. Uh, they have their own podcast, DIY Musician Podcast. It's a great, great podcast. And they're just really super informative. I'm tell, I don't work for CD Baby. I know you're going to think I'm shilling for them. I'm not, especially when I talk, because this whole thing's going to be talking about how great CD Baby is. And I want to tell you right now, I don't work for them. I don't distribute with them. This is just me throwing some love to somebody who's doing a great thing for music 
for musicians. And CD Baby is a great service. So in case you don't know what CD Baby is, it's a music distribution service um, that any DIY musician can use. So if you're, if you're not signed to a label as a DIY artist, one of the things you have to figure out is how am I going to get my music on iTunes? How am I going to get my music on Spotify? How am I going to get my music in stores? How am I going to get my music in all the places where people want to consume music? And so you have to use one of these distribution services. And there's a lot of great ones out there that any artist can access. CD Baby's good. TuneCore's good. DistroKid's good. Um, but I want to talk about CD Baby here specifically because they did something pretty interesting that I want to bring to your attention because this might make you think about using them as a distribution service. So CD Baby has added another service on top of its menu of music distribution services that you might want to check out if you're deciding where you want to distribute your next release. CD Baby recently bought the platform Show.co. This is a platform that provides marketing tools for musicians, and even big labels use this platform. And now, because CD Baby has bought Show.co, when you sign up with CD Baby, you can get access to the Show.co marketing resources for free. And among the free tools include platforms to build your email lists and your social media followings by providing potential fans uh, a way to exchange their emails, um, email addresses or their likes or their follows on things like Facebook and Twitter in exchange for getting free content from you. So it's like, you give me your email address, I'll throw you, I'll give you a free download of my song, or I'll give you a special video to one of my songs, or a coupon code for merchandise in my store, whatever it is you want to give them. The, the show.co platform, which is now available for free through CD Baby, creates the mechanism by which you can create those kind of marketing promotional initiatives for yourself. And now you might be asking yourself, well, why do I, why do I want to make this exchange with potential fans? And the answer to that is simple. When you're building up your career, email addresses of fans, social media follows, that's your currency. It's worth its weight in gold because in the early stages of your career, the name of the game is building your fan base. Building your fan base is more important than just putting an extra dollar in your bank. Um, when you're early in your career... Your, your goal should be all about getting your music in front of as many ears as possible, you know, creating as big of a footprint as possible so that you can bring in fans, um, you know, get their likes, get their follows, get engagements from them on social media and get those email addresses so that you can create mailing lists and have, you know, close relationships with this group of fans. All these things are so important to build that fan base up because eventually you're going to have that big tribe of fans and now you can monetize them. When you're ready to do that first big crowdfunding campaign, when you're ready to do that first big tour and you need to figure out where you're going to tour, that social media list that you have, that email list that you have is going to be really valuable for them, for you. So you want to pick that stuff up. And the best way to do it is to use marketing tools like the ones on show.co to allow you a way to efficiently build that email list. And you can get all that with CD Baby now. So that's pretty dang exciting. All right, as promised, Richard Shapo coming up next to teach us about internet law, building a website legally and effectively. That's coming up now on the Break the Business Podcast. Ryan here from the podcast. Shameless plug time, my new book, Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry is now available in paperback and in ebook. 
The book talks about how you can be your own boss in your music career and take control of your content creation, promotion, distribution, and fundraising. Get your copy on Amazon by searching Break the Business. It's a nice read for musicians and the people who love them. That's Break the Business, declaring your independence and achieving true success in the music industry. Thanks very much for your support. Welcome back to the Break the Business Podcast. He is an internet lawyer from San Diego, California, who specializes in helping entrepreneurs start online enterprises. You can follow him on Twitter at Richard Chapo or check out his website, SoCalInternetLawyer.com. Ladies and gentlemen, Richard Chapo is on the Break the Business Podcast. Counselor, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me on. Of course. Uh, I'm thrilled to have you have you on. You have you clients, big and big and small, online businesses effectively. And that is of particular import to the listeners we have uh, listening to this show because they're independent artists. And by definition, they're online businesses. Let me start with a basic question that artists have come to me with before. And I figured no one's better to ask than you. Let's say an indie artist comes to you and says, I'm already on Facebook, I'm on Twitter, I'm on YouTube, I even have an artist page on music distribution sites like Bandcamp. Do I really need a personal website as well if I don't have one? Uh, the answer would be yes. Uh, and the reason really is control. It's control of the content, control of the customer list. Um, one of the issues that come up with third-party platforms such as Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, what have you, is those accounts are on other sites. And um, when those sites change their rules or they apply certain legal standards, um, which I'll cover in just a second, uh, you can either lose control of your account or you can have it completely uh, terminated. Um, so I get calls from people all the time uh, who've built up a following, let's say on Tumblr. I had one last week on Tumblr, had uh, a large number of followers, and she received a couple of copyright infringement complaints against her account. And the problem is uh, the copyright law that applies to the internet. It's called the Digital Millennium Copyright Act. And what that act basically says is that a website um, cannot be held liable for copyright infringement for content uploaded by users. So if you think about Facebook, if you uploaded a cartoon to uh, your site or to your page on Facebook, um, Facebook isn't liable for that. Um, you are because you, you've taken that action and you know, we're assuming it's copyright infringement. Um, but under the DMCA, if Facebook was to receive a certain number of complaints – uh, about your page, say two or three in a couple year period, it's a very low number. Um, Facebook does not have a choice. They must terminate your account. So if you're a band and you've you know developed a following uh, on any of these platforms, uh, you know let's say Instagram is easy because it lends itself to photographs, and you spent two years touring, putting up music, uh, and you've built up you know twenty thousand people that are following you, fifty thousand, whatever the number is, and you upload a couple images that you found online of bands that opened with you or played with you, um, and you do that without getting uh, the copyright permission to do it from the photographer who took those photos, and that photographer complains, your account could be closed, and you've just lost all of those followers. Uh, really what you want to do with the third-party platforms is you, you want to have your own website that's separately made, and you want to develop mailing lists. Mm. Uh, and it, sorry? No, so that's uh, mailing lists, okay. Okay, mailing lists, I know they sound like an antiquated uh, you know, tech uh, approach, but they're incredibly important because if you have your own website and you're shifting people to that site and getting them on the mailing list, uh, you control that. 
And there's no way you're going to lose that. The only way you're going to lose those followers, you know, those fans and what have you, is if they opt out. And, of course, a certain number of them will, but uh, it's, it's a low number. Um, and if we look to the publishing industry with authors who write books, uh, much like the music industry, it's gone under major change. A lot of the authors who are very successful have developed these lists. Uh, and they'll have a list of, you know, say, 100,000 followers. Well, every time they go out and they launch a new book um, or they're going to have a signing or something of that sort, they email their list and let them know. And if you have 100,000 people who are already on your list because they're interested in what you do, whether you're a publisher, whether you're a band, uh, and let's say you're a band and you put out a new CD or something of that sort or new, you know, whatever it is, a large percentage of those people are going to purchase. Um, and you have control of that list always. Now, if, it, if you look at that through an Instagram um, you know, approach and you lose that Instagram you know, account at some point, all those people are gone. All that potential revenue is gone. Um, so mailing lists, even though they're kind of an antiquated concept, are incredibly important. Um, and you know, the more you build up that, that list, the bigger of a captive audience that you have. And if in the future you ever wanted to go with you know, a large uh, record company or something of that sort, that's an asset. Because if you can say to somebody, well, you know, not only is our music good, but, uh, you know, we have a, a mailing list of 200,000 fans, uh, <laughs> you know, that, sure. that has inherent value and people are going to pay attention to it. I know uh, so, yes, absolutely have your own website. Yeah, I know there's a few websites and platforms out there that can actually help you build your mailing list and curate it. Uh, do you have any recommendations? Um, it depends specifically on how you're, you know, the audience that you're trying to approach. I would say quite honestly, use all of them, uh, <laughs> any of them. There are free systems that you can use like MailChimp and what have you just for your site. Um, but you can go to third party platforms, um, you know, noise trade, I think you'd mentioned, uh, before the interview was, you know, one platform, anything basically it's going to help you build your list. Um, if you look at really successful people on the web who are bloggers, uh, who are, for instance, in the business building um, niche. So they go out and they advise people how to build online businesses. One of the biggest things in their business is trying to build that list, and they will use every source for it. So when you're talking about your Instagram account or your YouTube account or something of that sort, you know, promote that list. Promote it there and tell, give people something for getting on it. Um, so give them a new, you know, new song. Give them an interview. Give them, you know, Something that uh, they're only going to get. One band who's been around for a long time, is well established, that does this is Pearl Jam. Um, I'm on Pearl Jam's list, and they send out things for the holidays, uh, and they don't have to be big, time-consuming, expensive uh, things. I mean, they can be anything from, you know, giveaway stickers to, um, you know, after a show, you know, we're going to be at this place, you know, come meet us, these kinds of things. Uh, and you're connecting with your fans which is obviously huge, um, but just keep building that list. And the thing that you'll find is that it can be annoyingly um, frustrating at first, but as that list grows, more people start sharing your, your you know, messages um, and the word gets out there and it'll just start evolving where it's you know, much like a rock rolling downhill. It starts picking up pace. Um, and you know, one day you get to a point where you have a really large following and you can look at your list and you can get an idea of where they all are. Um, so you know, okay, we have a big following in the Northeast. You know, we probably don't need to go to Florida and tour. Um, you know, <laughs> we can concentrate, you know, in this particular area. Um, and you'll find other odd things. One of the most interesting things with the businesses in, in my traditional practice, you know, I advise businesses that are more in the business niche, is looking at your list and how, um, you know, most people assume, most businesses will assume, well, our audience is this. And then you look at the list and almost always that assumption is wrong. Oh, wow. <laughs> 
you know, the audience is either older or younger than you think. Um, I have, you know, one client that thought most of their audience was going to be male oriented. And in fact, the majority of their audience uh, from the stats were actually females. And so you had, you know, this completely different view of their product than the band or than the company itself had. So knowing who your, who your fans are and knowing the people that are following you is you know, incredibly important. Um, so definitely list, list, list. And the way, one of the ways to do that through the sites is, is to just promote it. Just be, you know, upfront with it. Hey, if you like our Facebook page, you know, we're offering, uh, free t-shirts, free, you know, whatever, free recordings, um, you know, through our website as well, just join our list and people understand and they'll join that. Uh, and you should get a pretty good percentage of people that join, unlike a situation where it's obviously some kind of a business pitch. Um, so I would definitely focus on that. Cool. Now let's start at the beginning when it comes to websites, domain names. If an artist is going to get a website, and it sounds very much like they should if they don't have one, according to you, what things should they consider when selecting a domain name? Is it just a matter of getting their own name as a .com and they're all set? Is there anything else that they should consider? Uh, well, obviously, you want to get the business name .com. Um, the designation after the dot, they're called top-level domains, TLDs. Um, if you have the money, I would suggest also getting the other versions, .net, um, yeah, what have you, you don't have to, there are zillions of uh, variations now, but .NET typically is going to be enough. If the band's name consists of, uh, multiple words, then you might want to get the dashes between them. The reason you're doing this is that you don't want somebody creating a website that, uh, criticizes you or something of that sort. That's fine. That's part of life. Um, <laughs> but you don't want somebody to do a search for your band name and your band name comes up first. And the second listing on Google is, you know, some odd person who's writing nasty things about you. So that's one of the ways to get around it. Um, another issue that came up, uh, unfortunately, a couple of years ago, uh, ICANN is the name of the group that basically controls domains and what the domain top-level uh, designations will be, the .coms, the .nets. And because we're running out of domains, they will often approve new TLDs. So they might approve .us or .tv or something like that. Um, a couple of years ago, a Canadian internet register asked uh, ICANN if they could <laughs> if they could launch the domain .sucks, so <laughs> .scck, yes. And to the surprise of nearly all of us in the industry, ICANN allowed it. Uh, and so there, you can buy .sucks versions of domains. So if you're you hate Microsoft, you can buy you know Microsoft .sucks. And you would think that you would be able to go after them from a trademark perspective to get those domains back, but you really can't because it's criticism. It's a legitimate First uh, Amendment right. So most musicians now, uh, Taylor Swift was the first one to do it. She owns Taylor Swift dot sucks. <laughs> um, and you, so, you know, going out and buying that designation also would probably be a smart move. Uh, but stick to your band name. You know, I think that's really where you're going to go. One other thing that you will um, run into that I should mention is um, some bands will have friends who are SEO, um, conscious SEO is search engine optimization. It's the art of trying to get your site ranked, uh, very high on Google because obviously there can be a lot of traffic that comes in. Uh, and one of the SEO strategies is to buy a domain that is keyword intensive. So instead of your band name, um, you know, if you were a punk fusion band or something like that, it might be punkfusion.com. Uh, don't do that. Um, sure. it's, Google's become more sophisticated now or they wouldn't list you anyways. Um, just stick to your band name for now. Uh, and then once you have the band name nailed down, go out and obviously you know promote it like mad uh, and consider trademarking it as well. Oh, I'm just making a quick note here to get breakthebusiness.sucks so I can just head off some people at the pass here. Well, the funny thing about it was when that was originally um, approved, 
the domain register in Canada was offering um, preemptive before they even put them out on sale. They went to large companies and said, I think it was, you know, for $2,500, you can buy your domain for .sex now. <laughs> uh, you know, which is, you know, considering most domains are 10 bucks, it was a bit of a joke. They don't cost that now. Um, but, yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's a fine line between a brilliant business idea and extortion. Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> And of course, you'll you'll always find that line on the internet. Uh, Yes, you do. (laughs) So when an artist is building the actual web page, what are some pitfalls that they should try to avoid when creating their website content? Are there copyright issues that musicians can run into, particularly if they hire somebody else to create that website for them? Yes, uh, copyright is probably the most common issue um, on the website, copyright infringement. So copyright is simply the right to own and control something that is created, a tangible work. If you think of a Stephen King novel, novel, when Stephen King finishes writing that, he automatically owns the copyright into it. And what that means is that only he um, can make copies and distribute that content. Now, obviously, a publisher pays him money, uh, and he goes ahead and gives them the right to do that in exchange for that money and a royalty and what have you. But that's the basic idea. With bands, the, the issues that are going to come up is um, typically you're probably going to hire somebody really inexpensively, the cheapest person you can find to build a website. Uh, the WordPress platform is usually the most popular, and that's fine. But the question is the graphics and, and the images uh, that you put on that site. Who owns the copyright to those, and do you have the right to use them? And with images in particular, say even just pictures of the band, the question is who took those pictures? Um, because if we go back to the Stephen Wright example or the uh, Stephen King example, it's the person that actually took the photo that owns the copyright. Just because the photo is of the band doesn't mean the band owns it. Um, now they can be paying the photographer to do it. And in that case, the rights can transfer and what have you. Um, but you have to be careful with that. The other area that I that comes to mind you really want to be careful with is fans' photos. Um, so if fans are taking pictures of you, you can upload them to the site and that's fine, but just make sure, you know, that there's permission. And typically in that situation, you could just simply say, Hey, you know, we really like this photo, you know, it's okay if we upload it to the site and the fan writes back in an email, sure. You know, I'd love it. Then you're fine. Um, but you definitely need to think about those issues. The other thing is with the initial website, again, if you're putting up images of another band or somebody that you, you know, that you shared the stage with or something of that sort, again, do you have the copyright permission to that? Um, it's, it's one of those annoying issues, but what will happen is that if, um, um, copyright complaint comes in, you often get an engagement letter that says, you know, we're looking for X amount of money, uh, for your usage uh, of this image without permission. And they'll, you know, if it's Getty images, they ask for $5,000. Um, <laughs> if it's, you know, depending on the group, it may be less than that. Um, but that's just something that you want to avoid. And that's also true with your social media sites. You know, if you're uploading it to Instagram or something of that sort, you need to be cognizant of that. Because, again, on those sites, um, because of the DMCA, if they receive two or three complaints about you in a couple-year period, they will terminate your account. And that's a lot of hard work and what have you, you know, up in smoke. Um, so it's it's definitely something to be cognizant of. The other thing is just because you see something on the web does not mean you can use it. In fact, in most cases, you cannot. There are a couple of fair use, what are called fair use defenses, um, but for band, you know, I don't think many of them would apply. Nah, probably fair not, probably <laughs> not. Yeah, yeah. Fair use defenses are generally things like criticism. So if you did a movie review uh, on YouTube, you'll see movie reviews and people, you know, commenting on movies positively or negatively. That's a criticism. Uh, parody, if you did a parody of a movie or a TV show or another band or something like that, um, you know, that's acceptable. But for just a band website, 
eh, you know, it, you're probably going to have run into problems trying to claim some kind of a defense. Um, so copyright infringement. Um, there's actually a lot of good sources online where you can just go read uh, and get an idea what copyright infringement is. Um, or even just sitting down with any attorney and talking to them for you know half hour, you can get a pretty good idea of what you need to do. Well, so specifically, and I only ask this because it's something I see a lot with musicians, you would definitely discourage artists from Googling an image that they need and just saying, oh, there's that image. You know, I, I need a guitar for my website. Let me Google search guitar and take the first guitar that comes up in an image search and put that on my webpage. That would be a no-no. Yes, a huge no-no. Um, Google search, Google has the Google search images. Um, they have a variety of images and there are tons of platforms out there. Again, just because it's out there, unless you can think of why you have permission to use that, you're probably creating copyright infringement. There's a site called Fotolia, F-O-T-O-L-I-A.com. Um, you can go to, it's a stock image website. It's one of the, the more inexpensive ones. I think you can get up to like, uh, 50 photos or something like that for $30. Um, and you're going to save yourself all kinds of headaches and you can get, you know, basic stock images of a guitar or something of that sort that you want to, you want to use. There are also common, um, creative commons licenses online, uh, unless you know exactly what you're doing and you're ready to read the license, you know, I'd be a little careful with those. Um, but you know, using a stock image site where you pay 30 bucks and you have access to more photos than you probably use in three years, uh, <laughs> you know, it's definitely the way to go. Well, let's talk about copyright on the other side now. Uh, the artist getting infringed. Let's say that a musician sees their music being played on a website like YouTube. You know, somebody's uploaded a video of them performing and the artist did not authorize that music to be on there. Uh, what are the musician's options at that point? Well, there's a practical answer and a legal answer. Uh, so let's start with the legal answer. Uh, the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, again, is, is the law that we're going to look at here. Um, your music is copyrighted uh, when you create it as a band, whether you're an individual or a group. Um, there's an automatic copyright. It's called common law copyright. Um, you would contact that entity. So be it YouTube, for instance. You would contact them with a complaint. Uh, and YouTube would process that complaint, and they would run it across the video, and they would see, it's, you know, yes, it's a violation, and they would take the video down. Well, basically what they do is they would contact the person that posted it and said, do you have a good reason for, you know, uploading this given the copyright infringement complaint we received? And that person's answer is going to be no. Um, <laughs> so I really so like video, this band. <laughs> right. Well, that is commonly what you're going to get. Uh, and so the video would be taken down. Uh, and, you know, unfortunately with the web, that's just kind of the nature of the game. Um, people are going to copy and repost a lot of your content. I have some clients who produce... Um, a lot of content and they're very popular and they've just kind of come to view it as free publicity, uh, you know, that people will go ahead and, and share their things because, you know, frankly, the cost of paying me to go after each and every little violation is too expensive. Um, so that brings us kind of the, to the practical side of it. Why would somebody upload your song uh, and what are they uploading it with? Well, before you file the complaint, stop and look at it. And it may be a situation where... You know, it's a positive for you. Uh, maybe it is because they like you. Uh, and, you know, they posted a video saying, hey, this band's great. Listen to them. Or, you know, I saw this band last night at, you know, some club. You know, here's a video of it. Look at it. Well, is that copyright infringement? Yes. And can you complain and get it taken down? Yes. But do you really want to? Uh, you know, you may be a situation where you may even want to just contact them and say, hey, thanks, you know, for putting it up. We really appreciate it. Uh, would you mind adding a link to our website or a link to our social media page or something of that sort? 
Um, so copyright infringement is one of those areas where people immediately, you know, they get fired up about the legal uh, aspects of it. But the practical aspects are, you know, is this really something, you know, we want to fight? And if you go on to, again, YouTube in particular, you will see tons of copyright infringement where the websites and the, where the videos stay up for years. And it's exactly that reason that's that the, the copyright owner behind it has taken the position that, eh, this is free publicity. Hmm. And this is actually a positive for me because, you know, with the state of radio being what it is and, and, you know, everything else, you know, how do you, how do you stand out from anybody else? Well, you know, if somebody's uploaded it in a positive manner to YouTube or some other forum and, you know, they're giving you free publicity, they're, they're helping you stand out, you know, when no other person really could, um, you know, what it wouldn't have, would not have happened normally. So think about it. Um, trademarks are a little different issue. Trademarks you need to actively protect. But with copyright, you can kind of look the other way, and it isn't that big of an issue. Also, if you contact them and they've posted your your um, songs, you know, because they like you, and you interact with them, now they have a very positive view with you. And not only will they list your website, but they're much more likely to go out and um, you know talk to others. Um, I'll give you a strange and somewhat morbid example of this. Um, you know, uh, last week I lost my dog. I had to put down my dog, which is a very difficult situation. Oh but, no, that's yeah, terrible. So, well, in her last two weeks, she'd been very sick, and of course, I had gone out and purchased a small fortune of dog accessories and things to try to help her. And I started trying to return them all, and it turned out to just be a nightmare with these different companies. I mean, I was like, really? You know, you're really going to be a jerk about this? <laughs> and, but there was one website, Chewy.com, and Chewy, I called them on the phone. Not only did they not give me any grief, they didn't even ask me to return the product. They just issued a refund and said, you know, just keep it and donate it to somebody, you know, a rescue group or what have you. And I went online, and I'm a lawyer, so I'm as cynical as they come. And I still went online to my Twitter, Twitter site and my Facebook page with my, you know, wild 300 followers. Um, but I did post something positive about them saying, hey, you know, this company did, did right by me. And if you ever have an issue with your dog or you need to buy something for a pet, you know, I would highly suggest, you know, you use them. Now, that kind of PR is invaluable. Um, because it's from somebody who you know had a positive experience with them, and it's something that's freely given. So for your band, if you have somebody that gets onto a forum and they're they're raving about you, well, you know, don't file a copyright complaint against them. <laughs> right. No, that's great advice, and it's very refreshing to hear a lawyer actually advise a practical, non-legal solution that might you know that's more expedient for the artist. That's. Fantastic. You can check out his website, SoCal, S-O-C-A-L, internetlawyer.com, and follow him on Twitter, at Richard Chapo. Richard, this has been great. Before we let you go, do you have any last tips to share with the indie artist listeners out there to help them move their careers forward? Uh, I think the biggest tip, one thing that we didn't discuss, just a, it's kind of an odd thing, but I'll raise it. Um, when you, If you do build a website, which you should do, make sure to uh, build one that you control. There are services out there that will say, you know, for five bucks a month, we'll build you a website, uh, you know, and you can host it on our platform. That sounds, that sounds great. Again, the problem you have is you're on a third-party platform. So if you go big, if your band takes off and you start having, you know, large numbers of followers and things of that sort, and you need a better website and you need to be able to move all that content, it can be difficult to move off of those platforms. Not that they're not going to let you move, but it's just from a tech perspective, it can be difficult because they'll, they'll, they'll have their own proprietary code and things of that sort. So if you try to move it over to a new website on a WordPress or something of that sort, uh, it can be just a nightmare. Um, so, you know, going out and typically most people, most bands would start with a web, uh, WordPress uh, website. They're very simple. 
Um, anybody can work on them. You can go on to sites like uh, freelancer.com to find somebody to work on, although quite honestly, one of the band members or somebody you know the band members know can probably do it. Um, but you know, try to keep, again, control. Try to keep control of all your content uh, online and, and that mailing list. And as annoying as mailing lists sound, develop them. Develop them. You will be so happy you did. Um, because once you get a decent following on it, it's a built-in audience for you. And that's a built-in audience that isn't going to go away. Richard, thank you so much for your time. We'd love to have you on again real soon. Great. Thank you for having me. We'll be right back on the Break the Business podcast. Friend of the show, John Ratzenberger here with Ryan Carella, author of Break the Business, declaring your independence and achieving true success in the music industry. Available on Amazon.com. Ryan, tell the folks a little about the book. Well, the book's about empowering Well, artists. that's fascinating, Ryan, but it's only a 15-second commercial. Thanks. Welcome back, everybody. Our thanks to Richard Chapo for joining us in the previous segment. Be sure to check out his website, SoCalInternetLawyer.com. My apologies for the technical issues in that interview. Good Lord, that phone line was all over the place. But thankfully, we managed to preserve most of the material there. His content was great. Uh, the phone line could have been better. But thank you so much for hanging in there. Whatever it is, we're going to figure out. We're going to fix it. And uh, thank you very much, Richard Chapo. We're going to have him on again under better phone line circumstances down the road. Because it was really informative stuff. This... This stuff, building a website, having a good web presence, and most importantly, navigating the numerous legal pitfalls that come about when you're trying to create a web presence for yourself is so important. And that's why Richard Chapo's advice is so useful there. Again, you can check out his website, SoCalInternetLawyer.com, if you need more information from him. He's great. A lot of cool music stuff's been happening in the last couple weeks. And now that I have you alone and there's no co-hosts, I got a great opportunity just to talk about them with you and see what you guys think. So I have discovered from reading the news in the last couple of weeks that apparently American Idol is coming back. And I wanted to talk about this with you guys. Um, I don't know why American Idol is coming back. I don't know where this came from. I thought we got rid of American Idol. I thought that the ratings were bad, that they were going down for the better part of a decade and it was time for American Idol to be over. And I figured maybe someday American Idol would come back in the same way that the gong show is coming back, that eventually our nostalgia, a generation from now, would get the best of us, and we want to bring back American Idol. But it's only been like a year, and apparently American Idol is coming back now. Why are we doing this? I Look, and don't get me wrong, I used to love American Idol when I was in high school. Middle school, I, I I enjoyed it. Like those first few years, Carrie Underwood, Kelly Clarkson, Fantasia Barino. I got into it, but the last few years of American Idol were just sort of uninspired. It was just the, the same kind of format over and over, watching a bunch of decent singers sing karaoke, singing songs you already know. It, it just it, it got stale, and that's why the ratings were bad. But now we're going to do this again. Why? Why are we bringing this back? Why? Why are we doing American Idol again? And I'll say this: if we're going to bring American Idol back, if we are so hell bent on not letting things die for even a year before we resurrect them, um, like you know a mediocre television phoenix rising from the ashes, 
If we're going to bring it back, I do have some suggestions. So if Simon Fuller, if you're listening, I have some suggestions to make it a little bit better. If we are so hell-bent on bringing this show back, even though nobody's demanded for it to come back, here's here's how I think we can make it better. And I and I have heard that they are going to want to change they do want to change the format a bit. So here's my suggestion. Let's get back to what Idol was about, which is it was supposed to be a way to create stars. We're, we're trying to find the next big music star. But basically, for the last 10 years of Idol, it didn't really do that. I mean, when you when you think of the legit music stars that American Idol created, you can count them on one, maybe two hands. You know, once you get past Kelly Clarkson and Carrie Underwood and Fantasia and, uh, you, know, you, you know, Clay Aiken, I guess, um, Chris Daughtry, like you have to, you know, you're sort of struggling to find the last few and, you know, Philip Phillips. And so for as many years as that show was on for as few stars it created is kind of embarrassing. And here's why I think that's the case because American Idol, its biggest fault is that it was always just a glorified karaoke competition. It was, it rewarded people who could sing other people's songs the best. And whether you can sing other people's songs well does not dictate whether or not you're going to become a music star, you know, because it's not just about having a good voice and singing other people's songs well. What matters is how well you sing original songs, how well you sing your own songs. That's what creates legit music stars, not just how well you can sing Beyonce's song. I mean, we already have a Beyonce. We don't need another Beyonce. We need people who can bring new songs out there and create new great songs. And so here's how you can change American Idol to find those kind of people. If you're going to bring this back, back this show, even though nobody wants it back, but if we're going to bring it back and you're serious about it being a vehicle to create new stars, then this new American Idol should focus not merely on singers, on karaoke singers, but on singer songwriters. Try to find people who can sing their own original songs well. That's how you fix American Idol. Make it a singer-songwriter competition. Have people bringing in original songs and you know, let people fall in love with new performers singing new music that they haven't heard before. And that way, if a, if a, if a particular singer becomes famous for their own song, then you already have a song that people love and you can start promoting that song instead of just, you know, playing other people's music on American Idol. And then when you actually want to make the winner of that show famous, they have to then release their own music, but people didn't fall in love with those singers singing their own music. They fell in love with those singers singing somebody else's music. And so it's easier to kind of train the audience to love a new singer if you already got them introduced to their new original songs beforehand while they're still on the show. So that's how you save American Idol, assuming that we have to bring it back, which apparently we do. But anyway, that's that's what you can do there. All right. So as I promised in the first segment, I want to talk a little bit of Eurovision. Yesterday, I had watched the Eurovision Song Contest for the first time in my life. And I've just been wondering where this has been all my life because I absolutely loved it. This was so much fun. I enjoyed every minute of it. This is going to become my new Super Bowl right up there with the Grammys and the actual Super Bowl. This was just amazing. And I want to talk about it because I want you all to get obsessed with Eurovision as well if you are not already watching this regularly. But I don't want to talk about it alone. I need to get some extra insight here. And so... I, to help me out a little bit, I have brought in the person I always like to bring in on All Matters Pop Culture, uh, Elisa Melendez, friend of the show, is here. 
Oh, wow. Thank you. Oh, the, the studio audience adores you. Oh. Thank you oh. so much for taking the time to uh, talk with us about important geopolitical things that is Eurovision. <laughs> but before we talk about this, I wanted to bring something to the audience's attention that just got brought to my attention. Alisa, they can follow you on Twitter at Alisa Rock Doc, which is now officially a verified account. Yeah. That's that's kind of amazing. Um I didn't actually I don't think I've actually know anybody who is verified on Twitter other than maybe people I've talked to on this podcast. How does that happen? What 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 did you have to do? Man, I don't know. But <laughs> <laughs> But but here's here's the thing. So I've been developing my social media presence over probably the last in earnest, probably the last nine years or so uh, since I started going for my PhD in rock music games, hence the rock doc. And as I became a writer, doing opinion pieces in the industry and being on panels, I've amassed a little bit, a very, very small amount of, of a following. And now that I work at a video game studio, I found it necessary to, especially because there are also certain things that you can do as a verified account that you can't in terms of being able to mute people and having a, you know, a, a better sort of quality filter for the tweets that you do see and control over who can get in your mentions and, you know, things, things that you can and can't see, which, you know, as a woman who works with video games can sometimes become a very, very important set of filters to have. I can um, imagine. And <laughs> so um, the other kind of portion of that was that I'm a spokesperson for the video game company that I work for. And I wanted to make sure that any information that folks get via social media from our games comes from quote unquote verified sources. Right. So that if, you know, if they hear from somebody who pretends to be us or, you know, someone with an Elisa rock doc name that has a, a one instead of a, lowercase l or something tries to impersonate me people will know that information is coming from the actual legitimate source instead of someone trying to impersonate and, and start some stuff uh -huh. so i i put in you can put in an application online and it asks you for a few things it asks for your id so that you can prove that you are who you say you are as uh, well as a few links to places where people can find you. Um, so I gave them my personal website, but then I also gave them my company website, um, links to streams and panels that I've been on to kind of prove like, yes, I do speak on behalf of this company. Like that's a legitimate thing. And my website has lists of articles that I've written. And then you write a little blurb that basically says, and this is what I said, I just want to make sure that if folks are looking for information from my video game studio, that it's coming from a legitimate place and not some imposter. Well, that's outstanding. And a lot of great insight in there for any artists who think they might be at a place where they can get a blue check on themselves. That's how you do it. That's great. Let me ask you another Twitter question. We are going to get to Eurovision, I promise. <laughs> but this is something I brought up in the first segment. And I don't even know if it's a question. It's just sort of a Twitter lament that's occurred to me. So I've been on Twitter and I post a lot of entertainment law stuff, you know, tips about the music industry, legal news, things like that. If I get a, if I make a particularly insightful entertainment law tweet, I might mm. get 150 impressions or 200 impressions. The other day, uh, yesterday, I tweeted a picture of my dog Molly yes. in a bumblebee costume. 
50,000 impressions. Yep. What the hell, Twitter? Like, why do well, I, why do I even try? Molly's in a bumblebee costume. <laughs> it's, like. it's, it's kind of adorable. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to lie to you. Well, 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 here's the thing, actually. One of, one of the things that you have to do as a Twitter account is you have to mix up your content so that it's not just a kind of self-promotional thing. You also have to be kind of tweeting about stuff that's in the current zeitgeist. Being funny, being real, being accurate, and boy, cute animals sure help. Sure. Um, and then, you know, you kind of lead them in with that, and then, you know, it's sort of come for come for the puppy, stay for the paralegal. Sorry, I tried to make that alliterative, and it didn't work. <laughs> well, speaking of the zeitgeist, let's talk a little bit of Eurovision. Um, I, I This was my first time watching it. It was so much fun. A cool song contest from Europe. Elisa, tell the folks what Eurovision is and why Americans should be watching it. First off, I had no idea this was your first time. Yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> I probably would have prepared you a little bit better for it um, <laughs> had I done that. Um, one, one thing that I do recommend for folks thinking about Eurovision for the first time is um, think about the Olympics. Think about these these sort of competitions where people come together and you can root people on and then imagine you know these sort of athletes at the top of their game um competing in this worldwide spectacle and then imagine that but with the silliness uh and and bombast of the miss universe national (laughs) costume portion um as well as the maybe first couple of episodes of American Idol where you see the not great folks <laughs> and then you put all of that together and that's Eurovision and it's beautiful it's um it was built as a way post World War II for European countries to kind of come together and compete in a spirit of goodwill and celebration and cooperation you know um way for all of us to get together in in a in a, in a way better way than, um, than, than shooting each other all the time. Um, training the firearms for incredibly kitschy songs. Yes. Yes. By the way, can we just fight all wars this way from now on? Like I'm, I'm, I'm I'm, I'm willing to accept that, you know, whichever side has like the most ridiculous ostentatious song, we'll just let you win the war. I'm not even, I I don't even care like what your politics are because any country that can do what these countries do in Eurovision. I mean, they can't be bad. <laughs> it can't be wrong. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so imagine just the most earnest, cheesiest tunes. And then you add this ridiculous production value. Evan, another friend of the show who is currently a production manager and has a huge eye for production. One of the biggest things, other than the songs, because he's a musician, is just the production value that is put into the giant stage props Mm. and the floor projection and LED screens and the camera work. It is a huge, huge spectacle, and it's glorious, and it's cheesy. And there was a contestant from Italy that brought a dancing gorilla on stage, (laughs) and why not? (laughs) Right. So every country, basically every European country and Australia, for some reason, sends a representative, you know, to perform some, you know, original song created by the people in that country. And then all of the countries of Europe vote 
on, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the one they give the, their highest vote to, they get 12 points, or as they kept saying in Eurovision. Those points. Exactly. And, but, you know, the countries aren't allowed to vote for themselves, obviously. Right. So you get to see some interesting, like, alliances there. And so if you like music, but if you also like geopolitical intrigue, I mean, Eurovision's for you. For example, <laughs> one of the sort of funny, not not funniest moments, but but one of the most sort of interesting moments was um, we, we, we had a little thing last year called Brexit. <laughs> and the the United Kingdom entry into Eurovision was actually probably really good. And it kind of made me sad that it was so good because that is such a waste um, for the UK to really put anybody up um, because Europe's everybody mad else right is just now. way so good. And um, so one of one of my favorite moments was Ireland giving the UK literally zero points. Yeah. And that was just perfect. That was Eurovision in a nutshell. It was so good. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the the winner this year was uh, Portugal. Portugal yes. won Salvador Sobral. And it was interesting because a lot of the Eurovision songs, they're always really over the top and super kitschy and it's delicious and wonderful. But this song was really low key and kind of ballady and it wasn't what I expected. But did you kind of think Portugal was going to win this or? It was definitely a sleeper uh, for me. So there's there's a few sort of categories of Eurovision tunes. There is the we are going to rap and yodel at the same time. Oh my god, the yodeling! Yeah, national costume, taking it up to you know ridiculous kitsch saxophone person dancing, et cetera, et cetera. Then there is the like Celine Dion '90s B-side ballad, woman in a white or red dress with a fan on them, and possibly some sort of glitter shower at the end. And then there is these kind of more like, kind of wild card, more kind of genuinely earnest songs that are, I don't know, kind of really interesting attempts. And I think for Portugal, it was a combination of did not do any of the stage props. It's basically just standing there in a black suit. Um, his performance was kind of introspective and and very very kind of sweet and understated. Um, and and some I think I think Evan was the one who described him as like a Portuguese Edith Piaf or something. <laughs> um, and 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 the whole sort of song was very kind of like 1930s kind of. It was sort of like an Edith Piaf song and. And and we sort of slowly started kind of seeing that kind of creep up into people's rankings, um, and and he won. Yeah, he gave an interesting acceptance speech, and I wanted and I know you had some thoughts on it, so let me just play it for everybody, and then uh, we'll powwow about it for a bit. Um, I want to say that we live in a world of disposable music, fast food music without any content, and I think this could be a victory for music with people that make music that actually means something. Uh, Music is not fireworks. Music is feeling. So let's try to do change this and bring music back, which is really what matters. Thank you very much for saying. All right. So, Uh, uh, yeah, it seemed like an interesting place for him to make that statement. Like music isn't about fireworks and spectacle when that's like all Eurovision is. It's... And and here's the thing, like as a musician, I understand the sentiment. However, 
Um, these songs are not necessarily devoid of feeling, even if you are shooting off a literal glitter cannon <laughs> on the stage. Um, I think it's just a different kind of feeling, right? I listen to pop music all the time and I can compartmentalize the part of me that just wants to get hype and put my makeup on for a night out and the part of me that wants to cry or wants to feel introspective or wants to think about my state in this life and I think there's room for all of that mm. I don't know maybe maybe nuance is not a thing that people enjoy but eh no. yeah I, I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I mean, I'm, I'm never big on the musician on musician crime, and you know, and I'm, I'm sure, and I just hope that the a lot of people at Eurovision didn't sort of see that as kind of a shot at them. You know, the uh, like Italy had a dancing gorilla on stage, and then you had like was it Sweden had five guys dancing on treadmills? Yes. And it was like, well, wait, we're not allowed to have that stuff in our songs because that's kind of what we do. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and 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 not for nothing, you know, Eurovision has become more and more of a global phenomenon and it's because of people's willingness to put themselves out there, I think, especially when you sort of consider like the kind of geopolitical situation of this, you you could tell that people will get a significant bump, short-lived, but a significant bump in their popularity if they do well in Eurovision. And in order to do that, in order to get the eyeballs, especially in a world of social media where things like this can spread so quickly, if your show is known for this sort of thing, yeah, encourage it. And also, who does it hurt to have five Swedes on a treadmill? <laughs> that was a lovely way to spend my Saturday afternoon. <laughs> I don't know if I want to live in a world without those five Swedes on the treadmill now that I have it. All right. Last, last question. Um, and I preface this question by saying that every person I've made this proposal to has told me that it's a terrible idea and it would never work. And if you're going to tell me that too, that's perfectly fine, but I'm going to try it anyway. And maybe this is just because I love Eurovision so much and I want more of it, but what would you say about a USA version of Eurovision where basically all 50 states do what the countries of Europe do and we all compete against each other for like the best song? Okay. <laughs> so what I thought you were going to say was US getting into Eurovision and I was going to say as a person from a territory who was literally colonized – no, we do not need America <laughs> Americaning all over this perfect and pure thing no, that no, is no. Eurovision. No question. No, let, let Europe okay. does its own thing. We don't need to be part of that because you're right. Cool. I mean, like you know, th th it's already beautiful. Like we don't need to. We don't need to get over there and American it all up. We do our own thing. Like because well, look. Let, let me sell it to you this way. All right, we already have like states competing against each other, but it's in like the form of a misogynistic beauty pageant where it's okay. Is the girl from Delaware hotter than the girl from Montana? And you know, which one looks better in a swimsuit? And how about instead of that, we have Delaware competing against Montana and who can create the craziest, kitschiest, most ostentatious song. See, here's what I'm hoping. I would hope that that Delaware would come out with some Delaware ass song.
<laughs> and some Delaware ass outfit, which is basically just, hi, this is where all the credit card companies live. I was about to or say something. Um, like a song about but, the Secretary of State's office and, and corporations. Like, what yeah. is a Delaware song? <laughs> On the one hand, I, I would worry that cities like Miami, New York, and LA would have some sort of quote unquote unfair advantage, but it might be sort of like the Eurovision thing where like the UK isn't sending Adele. Right. Um, sure. So, you know, New York isn't going to send Lady Gaga. Um, right. Miami right. isn't going to send Pitbull, although I feel like he'd be really into oh it. Oh my God. Yes. He absolutely he'd be would. so into that. Well, no, like you'd have to make a rule that you can't just bring superstars. Like they have to be yeah. undiscovered kind of people. Because, mm -hmm. yeah, it'd be no fun just to watch, you know, Taylor Swift complete, compete against Lady Gaga, competing against Jay-Z. I mean, and, and, you know, I imagine they probably wouldn't want to do it because you don't want to lose to that person. But, you know, and, you know, and the spirit and, and we don't want these to be like legit pop songs that you can hear on the charts. That's not no. that's not Eurovision. Like these have to be nope. ridiculous songs and like songs that have people on treadmills and dancing gorillas. I mean, that and and. Perhaps the legitimate criticism is that America might not be capable of replicating this in the way that makes Eurovision delightful because we just don't have that in our character. Like, yeah, like we're not willing, like we're not willing to let loose in that same way, you know, in the same way that this country was, you know, founded by Puritans who are, are a little tightly wound and left Europe <laughs> for that reason. We can't expect to be able to cut loose the same way the, the folks on the other side of the Atlantic do. Yeah, I would I would definitely tend to agree to that point that I don't think that point <laughs> that point I, I have a feeling that like, you know, these they the US would take it way too seriously yeah. and try to send a voice or American Idol candidate up there instead of, you know, first two episodes of American Idol in a beautiful like Florida man costumes or something which would be kind of ridiculous and awesome yeah. oh, i just <laughs> i just want more eurovision it was just so much fun i just want more of it in my life because it well, was beautiful and wonderful well so so here's what i recommend right because you only saw the finals yesterday that's right um everybody has their their national competitions in order to decide who they send but in addition to the finals that kind of air um, in the U.S. and more more places in the U.S. are picking it up now. If you have the means, they also air the two semifinals as well as the quote-unquote Big Five um, plus the host country. All of those entries are shown in the semifinals a few days before the finals, and that's when you can see some real kitsch because that's the stuff that didn't make it to the finals, and that's sometimes <laughs> even better than the stuff you see in the finals. Two words, San Marino. <laughs> no, I, I'm digging into this hard next year. I'm already excited about this. <laughs> Alisa, tell people where they can find you one more time. Let's, let's add some more followers to your blue checked account because you are a great follow. Oh, well, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Um, you can find me at Elisa Rockdoc. That is E-L-I-S-A-R-O-C-K-D-O-C. And you can also check us out every Monday night on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Elisa Rockdoc, uh, where Evan and I do uh, some Rocksmith gameplay as well as some acoustic shows. So definitely check that out, too. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much. Douze points. All right. Alisa is just an absolute delight. We're definitely going to have her on more often. She is so knowledgeable on all things music and pop culture. And I'm just in a good mood after talking to her. And I'm in a good mood because 
It's been such a great time talking with all of you. Thank you all for hanging in there. Our thanks to Richard Chapo. Our, my thanks to all of you as well. Thank you all for listening to the Break the Business podcast. We'll see you next week. Thank you.